Well, good morning, church. I, I feel like uh, I want to say it's good to be back as if I had been gone last weekend or something like that. That's not the case. It just feels like that. It just feels like it's been, uh, I've been away uh, and came back into town. So much has happened. You know, maybe you've been at home because of the storm or you didn't have to go to school or something like that. It just feels like a long week. Um, Graham and I had the, the blessing, um, not only of the privilege of a church um, to, to go together to be equipped ourselves as pastors to better um, equip you as the church to do the work of the ministry. Uh, we got to go sit, uh, well, I say sit, not just sit. We had lots of work to do before a workshop this week, not only beforehand in studying the Word of God, uh, but in getting ready to present the Word of God before our peers, and then to hear um, some of the good, a little bit more of uh, the bad uh, in that presentation, to hear how we could get better at knowing God's Word and presenting God's Word uh, week in and week out through song and through Word. Uh, so we, uh, we had a, a sweet time this week at the, the Simeon Trust preaching workshop uh, with about 70 other like-minded brothers uh, a little bit west uh, of the Metroplex, like you, got snowed and iced in um, several uh, hours away. Um, but had, had a sweet time there with, with those guys in the Word. And uh, our assignment this week in those workshops was the book of Ephesians. And uh, I felt uh, inspired by the Lord to take a moment and a pause from the book of Romans to spend this week in Ephesians. And I probably feel... A little bit like Paul felt about Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, where he, like you at certain times, began praying and one, not even one sentence in, all of a sudden got detoured and diverted to something else. Y'all ever been at that point where you began in your prayers saying, dear Lord, uh, I just want to pray for beep, beep, you know, and then hold on a second, God, and you like look up something else, which reminds you to maybe, uh, you know, a little bit later, oh yeah, I was, I was actually going to try to pray. Or in the midst of your prayers, you're praying and you think, you say something that makes you think of something else that all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I need to pray for that. And you go over here and you, you pray for that. Anybody else? Or am I just the only rabbit trail, you know, prayer? Um, it, it, it helps when, like uh, Paul, you're being inspired by the very Holy Spirit to detour and diverge in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, but his divergence and his detour and his rabbit trail in the midst of prayer, I think, is helpful for us. Uh, and if Paul had a, a rabbit trail in the midst of Ephesians, I think we can have a rabbit trail here at the fields in the midst of our series of Romans pausing for a second to look at what, uh, what Paul is, is teaching the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through uh, 14. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Romans and then keep going 
to the book of Ephesians, a little bit later in the New Testament. I don't have the page number for you on the church Bibles, but uh, 888 and beyond. (laughs) Since we've been in Romans chapter 8, on page 888, go there and keep going. And Graham has led us well this week, knowing what I would be preaching. He opened our call to worship in reading uh, about our salvation that is a gift from God the Father, God the Son, and guaranteed and sealed by God the Holy Spirit. He has led us well in song, in singing Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in, that our, in reminding us that our salvation, um, having been dead in our sins and trespasses, and being made alive in Christ, is by grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest no man should boast. Um, Ephesians chapter 3 sits just beyond that song we just sang. And the passage between the song we sang and the passage we're going to look at this morning is a passage that talks about the fruits of our salvation. Uh, Talks about the works of our salvation. That because Gentiles, because we have been made alive in Christ because being dead in our sins, we've been saved by grace through faith, we have now been made one with Jews. Jews and Gentiles in one church. We need to consider the context in which Paul is writing to the Ephesians. In a point in history when Jews and Gentiles were radically divided and did not like one another did not care for one another, did not enjoy spending time with one another. And yet, Paul says, because of what Christ has done, you're made one. You're no longer Jews who had the promises of God, had the inheritance of God in store for them, were called the people of God. You're no longer Gentiles who were far from God, alienated from God, separated from God for a time because of Christ, the Son of God, descending to the earth and living a perfect sinless life and willingly laying down His life for the sins of all who would believe, died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, rose on the third day, conquering sin and death, and was then ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. In doing that, Christ made one new people. Christians. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles, but one. And Paul, having spoken about this oneness, speaking about this unity that there is in the church, he began a prayer that I think he finishes later on in chapter 3, verse 14, for unity in the church, for strength in the power of the Holy Spirit to live in that unity of the church. But it's here in chapter 3, verse 1, where he begins his prayer and then diverges just a bit. And what I want us to see this morning is that suffering something we've been talking about as a church in Romans chapter 8. We talked about last week, 
the suffering that all creation experiences, and, and we know that because of the groaning that is happening in all aspects of creation. We talked about the suffering that we experience as believers as we long for Jesus to return, and yet there are moments that we are persecuted for our faith, and we suffer uh, longing for Him to return, making all things new and for our adoption to be finalized. Uh, there's a, a groaning that we as believers uh, experience as well. But even in the midst of that suffering, whether it's a part of all of creation or a part, a part of um, the, the body of Christ as Christians, Paul encouraged us and told us that even in our weakness, even in the midst of our suffering, the Spirit Himself is groaning for us. He's interceding for us. And so having considered suffering as all of creation and as Christians last week uh, and being reminded that the Holy Spirit is interceding and groaning for us in the midst of that suffering, this passage helps us as well consider suffering. And it helps us to remember that suffering, like Paul said last week, is not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. This, this week, I want us to consider that suffering is not worth losing heart over. Suffering is not worth losing heart over. Let me read this passage for us, and I think you'll see what I mean, especially in the last verse, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now here's the aside. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship, of God's grace that, it, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask, verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. So we ought not to lose heart over the suffering that we may experience or those who make the gospel known for us experience. 
because it's that suffering that has made known the gospel to us and that enables us to make the gospel known to others. It's that suffering that has united us to Christ and has united us to one another. Suffering is not worth losing heart over, Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 3. Similar to what he said in Romans chapter 8 that we'll get back to next week. And it's this suffering that he mentions in chapter 3 verse 1 a little bit in detail just before he diverges. Look in chapter 3 verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a good Jew that is, in comparison to the Gentiles he will be mentioning, He says he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul mentions the specific suffering he's experiencing right now, and that is as a prisoner in Rome. Paul wrote this this letter from uh, the city of Rome while he was a prisoner, having appealed to Caesar himself so that he might be freed while in Jerusalem, they sent him to Rome to face trial and uh, on his way experienced a multitude of suffering of which none of us are, are probably going to sign up for uh, in this lifetime, and yet made it to Rome. And while he was in Rome, wrote several what we know as prison letters, prison epistles, letters to churches whom he had uh, been to and started and visited and, in, and encouraged and was writing back to them to continue in the faith. In fact, was encur- encouraging this church to um, not forsake their first love and to continue in a love for the Lord Jesus that is incorruptible, uh, reminding them of their, their unity in Christ. And as he's writing this letter, uh, maybe chained to uh, a table in house arrest, chained to another guard in house arrest in Rome. He's writing this letter to the, the Ephesian church. And he doesn't want them to lose heart, to be discouraged that the one who brought the gospel to them is now in prison in Rome. Because he's saying that my suffering is a part of a a bigger purpose. It's a part of a grander plan than even they or he could imagine. It, it, it was a part of them knowing Christ at the same time as them making Christ known. His, he suffered so that they would know Christ and so that they could make Christ known. That's the two things I want us to note this morning under the the title of suffering for a ministry is first thing, the mystery of Christ made known through the gospel. I want you to note under the title, the suffering for the mystery, specifically the mystery of Christ made known through the gospel. Paul starts his prayer in 3 verse 1 and saying that, as a prisoner for Christ Jesus on your behalf. You can even see the rabbit trail beginning in in your Bible. 
Look at the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. If you're reading an ESV like me, you've got a long dash. The, the translators of the ESV were helping us to see this parenthetical rabbit trail, this divergence from his prayer that, that he then continues later in chapter 3, verse 14. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. What's it say? For this reason. The very same words that he begins chapter 3, verse 1, as if he, he finished his rabbit trail, and his rabbit trail got back to the main trail, and he gets back to praying what he was originally praying for. But that doesn't make this unimportant. In fact, it makes it uh, sufficiently important that we consider what he says in this divergence. And this is, this is it in verse 2. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When he writes the letter of Ephesians, it's five years after Paul had uh, spent some likely three years in the city of Ephesus, planting the church, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news of salvation. First in the synagogue, then when persecuted and faced suffering in the synagogue, went out into the public square to begin proclaiming the gospel to any and all who would listen for likely some three years. But this is five years later. It's even a few years after on his way home from his third missionary journey back to Jerusalem to experience the suffering that uh, one had predicted he would experience, on his way home he stopped in the city of uh, Miletus, of which he called the Ephesian elders to travel down to him to uh, be able to be encouraged by him. So it was a few years even after that. And so when he's writing this letter, some five years after being there, some two years after speaking with the elders, he's, he's writing to a congregation of which there are likely some new believers in Christ, a part of that congregation who didn't know who he was. And might wonder, why is the guy that started this church now in prison? Why, why is this great Paul, if he's so great, why is he in prison suffering? I mean, there's some other great teachers that have been through Ephesus, and they're not suffering. Maybe we should consider listening to one of them. Maybe we should pause to reflect. I mean, there, I know this guy, Apollos. His church is booming. Why not listen to him instead of Paul? Paul's in jail. Why, why are we listening to Paul? Uh, uh, pause to consider how quickly even some of us and some of our Christian friends are to do the same. Oh, I, I'm going to listen to this guy. His church, man, is, is booming. Oh, man, he, he's got this following. He's got so many followers and so many views. And have you seen, you know, like, like what happens at their church service and, and this, that, or the other? And we listen around and, and, and people you work with and and hang with and, and, and live with, they, they do the same. We're so drawn to uh, 
attraction and, and success and that kind of thing. What about Paul? Suffering in prison in Rome? Why are we listening to him? But Paul is going to bring them back to Christ and say, you, you shouldn't listen to me because of my resume. You should listen to me because of the one who called me and revealed himself to me. Of which I, I wrote briefly to you. Did you remember those words? He said, I've written briefly to you about this. He's speaking, I think, of maybe verse, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, where he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This revelation that was made known to Paul originally in Acts that we may get hear about in Acts chapter 9. Do you remember Paul was out doing what he wanted to do? Set out to persecute the church, to cause to bring about suffering for the church. And when he was out doing what he wanted to do, he was knocked off his horse by a, a beacon, let's say, a light, and that light was Christ. And, and in that moment, Paul said, Whom are you, Lord? And Jesus, in very, his very self, said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus likening himself with the church, saying, you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. We are one in the same. We are united together. Paul is speaking about that revelation that he's experienced and saying, I'm assuming you've heard from some of the older, more mature believers in the church who I am, I'm nothing of myself, but I was causing suffering to the church, and Jesus knocked me off my horse and showed me who he really was, and I had to transform my life for him to make the gospel known to you. He's assuming that they've heard and saying, but just in case you haven't, let me let you in on a little, little thing here. He goes on in verse 4 and says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. This phrase that is, uh, comes to be known in the New Testament regularly. And when he says the mystery of Christ, the mystery that had been made known to him by this revelation, he's not talking about what I used to read as a kid, the Hardy Boys stories. Some sort, of, some sort of mystery novel, some sort of mystery that's unable to be known, or, or some like, you know, spooky, mysterious like idea and realm and, and this, that, or the other. What Paul is talking about when he says mystery in the New Testament is something that was unknown for a season, but that which has been made known in Christ. When he speaks about a mystery, he's talking about the mystery of the Old Testament. Who is the Christ? The Old Testament, they weren't uh, unaware of the fact that there was a Savior coming. They weren't unaware that there was 
a Christ, the Messiah. In fact, they were anticipating Him, waiting for Him, longing for Him. They knew all of the promises that God had given to them uh, in the Old Testament that He would come. They knew all of the, the pictures and the shadows of what He would look like. They knew some of the details of, uh, of what He would experience in His life, but they didn't know who the Christ was. And as century and millennia went by, they kept looking out. Is this the Christ? Is this the Christ? He looks somewhat like the Christ, but not fully. Is this the Christ? No. He is yet to come. And, and yet when Christ came on the scene, there were many Jews who said, this is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The mystery in the Old Testament of who is the Christ was made known through the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. In the Gospels, the mystery was made known that Jesus is the Christ. It's that mystery that was made known to Paul during that moment in Acts chapter 9 that he told about Several times later in the book of Acts when he would give testimony to that. That's the mystery that we're speaking of here. The mystery of Christ. The mystery of who the Savior is. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And that's made known in the Gospel. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That Paul has a great understanding of this mystery of Christ that is found in Jesus Christ. He says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, that is the Old Testament, as it has now been revealed to, to us in the New Testament, he says, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And, and what exactly, what else is this mystery that Paul is speaking about here? In verse 6, he, he defines it. That not only is there the mystery of who the Christ is, but there's also the mystery that the Christ brings about. He, he speaks about this in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Not only is the mystery here of who the Christ is, but the mystery is of what the Christ did when Jesus came to the earth and, and, and lived the perfect sinless life that Adam nor anyone else in all creation had been able to live at the end of his life, he willingly laid down his life and died on the cross and was buried and rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, proving that he was the Christ. And when he did that, rather than there being um, this way for the Jews to be made right with God through the covenants of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law that had been unable to be fulfilled by any of the Jews in the past, and made a new way 
He opened up the way for not just Jews to be saved, but for Gentiles to be saved. For not just God's people of the Old Testament to be saved, but for the pagan, the heathen, the Gentile, the Roman, the Ephesian to be saved. For you and I to be saved, though we don't come from Jewish descent. He made one new way. He made not only one new way, He made one new man. He made one new race of man. That is Christians. This is the mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Gentiles get to, as we've been speaking about in Romans chapter 8, are adopted into the family of God as well to be able to enjoy the inheritance with God as their father. They they become members of one body, united to one another. How can that be? Consider this for a second. Two of the most opposed groups of people on the earth now being made one. How in the world did that happen? Uh, sat in the membership class this morning and Pastor Ed talked about when he first became a Christian and was going to church and looking around at the church wondering how are these people friends? They were so diverse. Three-piece suits next to bikers in leather jackets and chains, he said. How can these people be friends when, when people come inside the gathering of our church, whether it be on Sunday morning or at group later in the week or around a dinner table in, in the midst of the week, uh, someone who doesn't know Christ, they ought to be able to sit down and think, how are these people friends? Why do these people love each other so much? What, what is this common connection that they have? What's united them? There's a mystery about that to them because they've never, they haven't understood it yet. But it can become made known to them in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that unites us to God. It's Jesus who unites us with one another. We're not only uh, fellow heirs, but we're members of the same body. And we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the, the gospel, the good news that we have in Jesus. This is part of that mystery. This is the aspect of that mystery that is made known to us like it was made known to Paul. To you too, the gospel and church was a mystery for a season. As a kid, you may have been bored going to church thinking, why do I have to go here? Or even as a high school or a college student, or even as an adult, thinking, why? Why would you spend your time going to do some of this stuff? But then when you come to realize your need as a sinner for a Savior to stand before God rightly, when you realize through the Scriptures and through the Gospel that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners, when you realize that you have not only the opportunity to be saved, but the opportunity to be adopted into a new family, 
to be connected with a new family here on this earth, even though your biological family cares nothing about you or loves you not, you begin to see the mystery as not something unknown, but as something known in Christ. And you lay down everything for it. You repent of your sins. You believe in Christ. You're given the Holy Spirit. You're united to Christ once and for all. And in a new way, you're united to one another's. To one another. And when that happens, there's another aspect of this mystery that you don't want to keep it to yourself. You can't keep it to yourself if you know it in that kind of a way. You feel guilty. In, in fact, having disobeyed some of the commandments of God, needing to repent of those. And so you want to make it known, and that's what Paul did. This great mystery was made known to Paul, and he was united to Christ that day in Acts chapter 9. And he grew in his understanding of his being united to Christ. He grew in his knowledge and understanding of being united with other believers, and rather than continuing to persecute and cause Christians suffering, he joined with them in their persecution and their suffering. And then he made known that mystery to the world. The first point was the mystery of Christ made known through the gospel. But the second paragraph, the second point this morning is making the mystery of the gospel known through the church. This mystery, this suffering that we experience for the mystery, we're noting is the suffering that Christ experienced to unite us with Him and to unite us with the church. But it's also the suffering that we experience as we make known the gospel to the world. And that's what Paul was willing to do. Look in verse 7. He says, It's of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. Paul speaks in most of his letters in the introduction about him being a, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. That God had not only saved him, but given him a gift and a calling on his life to make this gospel known to the Gentiles. And it was something that Paul said he didn't deserve, like salvation, that he was saved by grace, but he was made an apostle by grace, a gift. He was undeserving, unworthy, and yet he attempted as best he could to fulfill this calling that had been on his life. He says in verse 8, to me, Though I am the very least of all of the saints. Here's a point here where Paul highlights his depravity, highlights his sinfulness, highlights his involvement in causing suffering for the church, saying, I'm the worst. I'm the worst, and yet the Lord has called me. The Lord has saved me. And the Lord has called me to make this known. I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given, to, uh, was given to preach to the Gentiles, Paul's word, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You think about 
a mystery with this adjective here of the unsearchable riches of Christ, saying that the mystery has been made known, but the riches of Christ will never be fully known until we stand before Him in heaven. That you could search all of your days and all of your ways and all of the places around the world and never plunge the depths of the riches of Christ. And yet, the Lord has called me to try, he says. He's called me to try to, to proclaim the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, to invite others to be on a journey of searching out these riches and, and treasures. He goes on and says in verse 9, and to bring to light, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul is saying that this plan of salvation through sending His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, it was never plan B. It was never God creating light, creating um, water and land creating the earth, filling the earth um, with all of those things, creating man at the height of all, his, all of his creation. And then he let them out to be able to enjoy that garden. And then, oops, they fell into sin. Oh no, what do I do now? Salvation of sinners and God's people was never plan B. It was always a part of God's original plan before the creation of the world. And Paul's letting them know that right here. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. We see another glimpse of that in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose. This eternal plan that God had before creation to redeem a people whom He had created and yet had rebelled against Him. God's grace before the foundation of the world to not only crucify his one and only Son, but to send His Son in human likeness to save them. So Paul is, had this mystery made known to him, and he is now being faithful to making this gospel known to the world. In verse 10, so that through the, what's the word? Church. So that through the church, Note that whatever comes after this, he's, he's saying that it's not going to be him doing it or the apostles doing it. It's going to be the church. Paul was united to Christ and called to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles, to all who would listen, so that they too might repent and believe and experience the mystery of being united to Christ and united to one another. But moving forward, it's going to be the church that's going to make known the mystery of God. 
Again, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the literally in Greek, the very varied wisdom of God. The multifaceted wisdom of God. The, the undimensional wisdom of God is what Paul is trying to say here. There's so many dimensions to it. There's manifold wisdom of God. It goes back to we've got the unsearchable riches of Christ while we also have the uh, manifold wisdom of God that Paul is proclaiming to people here. Wanting them to see this grand, great God that we have. Sovereign over all of creation. Sovereign over all of salvation. One whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that His Son, Jesus, is Lord of all. And Paul is sent out to proclaim this so that the church might make known the manifold wisdom of God. See, Paul knew he would die one day. I, want, I imagine he was probably more aware of his last days as he's sitting in a Roman prison writing prison epistles and letters to churches whom he had visited before thinking, I'll never get to them again, saying, it's in your hands. Much like he said to Timothy in his letters to Timothy. It's up to you, church. You've been united to Christ like I have. You've been united to one another like I have in the church. It's up to you to make known this manifold wisdom of God, this plan of salvation in God through Jesus Christ. Even, not only to the world, but known even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That the church would display the glory of God, not only on this earth, but even outside of this earth, to the angelic realm. That the angels, as Peter says, long to look into what the church gets to experience. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, 10-12. Peter writes, very similarly to Paul. He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Paul is saying that the church is the lighthouse for the world. That the church is the one who is, in one sense, a mirror 
reflecting the light of Christ to the world. Even so much so that the angels long to look into and to know what the church is experiencing. Again, a challenge and and a convicting thought to say, do, do unbelievers look into my life? Do they look into my home? Do they look into our church and see the glory of God? And see the light of Christ? Do they see a people who have this mystery made known to them that they can be united to Christ and be united to one another? Do we have that? Do we show that? Do we display that? Paul says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Again, Paul wants us to recognize what we have in the mystery being made known to us that unites us to Christ, but wants us to go the next step of making this mystery of not only being united to Christ, but being united to one another, known to the world. He wants the world to know Christ so that they too can be united to Him and united to one another. And that's what our world needs. In such a point of division that our world is experiencing, that's what they need. They need unity. But they don't simply need cheap, temporary unity here on this earth that may be here today but gone tomorrow when something else happens. Or maybe here this month but gone the next month when another news story shows up. Or maybe here this year but won't be here next year because this, that, or the other. They need a unity with God that extends and perseveres forever. They need a unity with a group of people that will last beyond their lifetime into eternity. This is what our world needs. This is what your coworkers need. This is what your family needs. This is what your neighbors need. They need to be united to Christ first and foremost. And that only happens through Jesus, the Son of God. They need to find unity with a people here on this earth to be able to experience the, the love of God. And Paul is saying, this mystery has been made known to you and you're experiencing it. You're experiencing it because I experienced it. And because I made it known to you. Which is why he writes in verse 13, So I ask you, don't lose heart. Not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, don't be discouraged because I'm in prison. Don't be discouraged that your planting pastor is now sitting in a Roman jail. 
Don't be discouraged that one of your former elders is in jail for proclaiming the gospel. You know Christ because of it. You know unity in your local church because of it. It's okay. It was part of a much larger plan, Paul says. Paul is allowing me. Notice whom Paul says he's a prisoner of. Not Rome. Christ. Paul is saying, before the foundation of the world, he was going to give me the privilege of being a prisoner of Christ. I may be in a Roman jail, but I'm a prisoner of Christ. And my sufferings have brought about your salvation and your unification as a church. And so he encourages them, don't lose heart. Don't jump to the next preacher, pastor, or gospel that comes along that may seem, that may tickle your ears for a bit, or that may seem more successful on the surface. I think some of our brothers and sisters around the world whom we are united to um, know this far better than we do. When their pastors literally are in jail for proclaiming the gospel. And I'm not just talking in China far around the world in the underground church. I'm talking about our friends in Canada who pastors have been imprisoned because they faithfully proclaim the gospel Sunday to Sunday in light of restrictions this past couple years. I don't know what will happen in our lifetime, in our generation, but we are going to hold fast to Christ, to Christ Jesus. And that may mean suffering for us as your pastors, then so be it. That may mean suffering for you as a Christian. So be it. We ought not to lose heart. It's these sufferings that have been planned for before the foundation of the world to not only bring about our salvation, but so that others might be saved as well and be united together as one in the church. And so we have reason to persevere. Don't lose heart, Christian, because you see other brothers and sisters suffering, or you yourself may be suffering. As we'll see next week, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And that's what Paul was trying to tell us in Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us suffer well, that we as your people might not lose heart, that we might in fact, be encouraged that the sufferings we are experiencing are actually a part of your grand plan to bring about the salvation of people from all nations, tribes, tongue, and languages. And not only to unite us to you, but to unite us with one another. And so, Father, many 
generations and even nations away from Paul, I give thanks to you for Paul who was willing to suffer that the gospel might be made known to the church in Ephesus and they may be saved and they might be a church, Jew and Gentile together as one whom we have benefited from in reading this letter to them have even sung of regularly because of them. Can't help but think about the blessings that we've enjoyed because Christians in Ephesus were willing to suffer and make known the gospel even beyond themselves. God, I wonder who in our neighborhood, who in our workplace, might look at our lives being united to Christ and united to one another and might see that we're willing to suffer for one reason or another for the sake of Christ to make the gospel known to them whom they might repent and believe in Christ themselves and trust you and experience and have made known to them the mystery who is the Christ, Jesus, our Savior, and might be willing themselves to suffer to make the gospel known to others. And God, I pray that you would help us suffer well as a church, especially in a season when we don't experience much suffering. but that we wouldn't look at those who suffer in some form or fashion as being less than, as Paul was not less than, of Christ who suffered most on the cross, was not less than. But we would see the greatness of suffering in the plan of God from the beginning of all time to now and into the future. And we too would, we would be willing to unite, unite ourselves to Christ in suffering and to come along others who are suffering to encourage them in this work, not knowing what you may do in the midst of that suffering as the gospel is being made known to others. And God, I pray that if there's one who this morning senses you unveiling the mystery of God and the mystery of Christ this morning in Jesus, recognizing and realizing that Jesus alone is your Son who lived and died and rose from the dead, dying in their place, taking the punishment for the sins of all who would believe that as that mystery is made known to them this morning, they would repent and believe as many of us have in the past. And in a moment this morning, be united to all of us who call ourselves sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ, the church. God, I pray you would 
have your way with us. Through your word, by your spirit this morning, as we sing your praise together as your church, making known to one another in praise to you this morning of this great mystery. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as the church and let's proclaim the mystery of God in Christ Jesus our Lord this morning.